most pleased to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 10, we're beginning with, uh, with verse number 25 uh, this morning. You know, especially a lot during uh, the corona and all the pandemic, we always heard the term of uh, experts. You know, there was always like these experts and they always had the right information. And when you heard the word expert, you knew for 100% fact that everything that they said was absolutely, positively, 100%, without doubt, true. And that's kind of what they wanted you uh, to think. And uh, sort of block out your mind of anything that you may even think or any sort of type of reason. But you, when you heard the word expert, supposedly you were dealing with somebody who knew what they were talking about. And a lot of times you will read in the, in the newspaper here on the news, you'll hear this, this headline and they'll have some type of, uh, of statement. And then at the end of that statement will be this phrase, experts say. They won't tell you who the experts are, or what qualifies them to be the experts, but they put that phrase in there to tell you that everything, what they say, you should take as absolutely, positively fact, because they know more than us little simple people that just don't even know how to tie our shoes. And that's sort of the, imp the imposition that they wanted you to believe. Now, this morning, we uh, encounter an expert an expert in the law, someone that people would thought and someone would think of themselves that they knew exactly what they were talking about. But I know that as you have dealt with certain experts in your life, whether it be doctors, whether it be a scientist, or whether it be policymakers, that a lot of times the experts don't always know. And so that's what we're going to learn this morning. And so as we read these verses, I want us to think that in our heart that sometimes the experts may be wrong. So let's read together in the book of Luke, chapter 10. Let's begin with verse number 25 as we read this. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But, he's, uh, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and who stripped him and beat him, and... Um, and, uh, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down, uh, down the road, and there was, uh, and they saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite who had come to the place saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan uh, on, on, uh, on be journeyed came and, was, and came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil on, on uh, oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denaries and gave it to the, to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, to the one who showed him mercy. 
Jesus said to him, I mean, Jesus said to him, go, you go, and do likewise. A lot of times, uh, the reason why the experts are wrong, and a lot of times the way that we get things wrong in our walk with Jesus, as we make the same mistake as this lawyer did, is that we are asking the wrong questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the things that you've given us. Lord, we just thank you for the kind and compassion that you showed us through your son, Jesus Christ. While we were broken, while we were unable to take care of ourselves, while we were dead in our transgressions of our sins, Lord, you took time to walk among us, to stoop us down and to heal our wounds by the scars that you endured on the cross. And Lord, may we show that love that you have given to us, to all those who are around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus encountered a lawyer who came up to him, or some of your translations may, uh, may have it as that he was an expert in the law. And that's exactly what he was. It's that he was someone who knew the law of Moses. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards and upside down. And he could quote you scripture. And so he was an expert. And he had spent many years in, uh, in training. And he had spent many times studying under, uh, under teachers. And he assumed that he would be the expert. And that any time that anyone had a question, you should go to the expert because he was the one who knew. But here comes this Jesus. He was not from any of the schools. He was not a part of their, their clique. He was not under any of their teachers. And now here he comes as a teacher. He comes as a teacher giving people wisdom, and he's leading them away from the established experts in the law, and he can't really stand it. And so this teacher of the law comes up to Jesus. This expert comes up to the law to Jesus, and he asks him a question. And the impetus of that question was to test him. And I always mention that when people come up to you and when people come up to me and uh, they ask you questions, especially when they're asking you questions about spiritual things, there are several impetuses. There are several really sources or intentions of what their questioning may be. Some people ask honest questions because they really want to know the answer because it's something that is bothering them in their heart. Some people ask questions, and it's more of a trivial nature. They just kind of want answers to facts and figures. Then others, they were going to ask questions to start arguments, or they were going to start debates, or they want to uh, show you how smart that they are. They want to ask you a question that they know the answer to so they can show you how much smarter they are than you. And then there's the people like this teacher of the law who are asking a question in a sense of, hostility, seeking to expose Jesus as not an adequate teacher of the law, exposing Jesus as someone who should not be asked. And so he goes and he phrases his question in order to test him. And his question that he asked is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that was really one of the, the big questions that was being asked among Jews at that time is, what exactly must you, and notice that word, do. What act must you accomplish in order to inherit eternal life? 
And that is a question that seeps in our minds, whether you believe in Jesus or whether you believe in Buddha or whether you believe in the Hindu gods or whatever it is that you, you believe in, the impetus that sits on our heart and the questions that are on our mind is what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus kind of turns the question on him and said, well, you're the expert. What do you say? And he reads to him what has been the conclusion about these two Old Testament passages that have been linked together in order to us to, uh, for them to establish what it is that God requires of us. First one is from uh, Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Well, uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. In other words, to love God with all your being. And the next one comes from Leviticus, of all places, Leviticus 19. And says this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And even in Jesus' teaching, and even in the apostles' teaching, that these two things were summarized as being what God ultimately requires for him. And so this is this expert's question, answer to the question. Well, you know, you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and the strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, you've answered well. Go and do these things, and you will have eternal life. That is what God requires of us. That is what the road is to eternal life. But then he gives this phrase, and then he says this. And we notice the preface of this answer or the preface of this question. It says, in seeking to justify himself, he asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And he said the purpose of asking this question was to justify himself. Was it seeking to justify himself uh, having to do where he wanted to sort of say, well, Jesus done answered this question and he agrees with me. And so I want to ask him another question to maybe expose him any further. Or maybe it's like us that our desire to justify our actions, that as we think about this answer to our question, we think about how we treat people. And there in the Jewish times, right there, they had a keen idea of separating people into different groups. In other words, you had Jews and you had Gentiles, all right? And I would treat Jews who were my people a certain way, and I would do certain things for those people that I would not do for Gentiles. And this has a long history, even going back to the Old Testament law itself, where there were certain things or certain ways that you could treat uh, fellow Jews, fellow brothers and sisters in the Jewish community, such as that you couldn't have them as servants, as permanent servants. You couldn't buy or sell them uh, as, as slaves or as servants. And even if you did take them as servants, you could only have them as servants for so long before you had to release them, and you weren't allowed to beat them. But if you were out of the community, if you were Gentile, you could do all those things. There was a different way of treating Jews as there was of Gentiles. And so that has a long history of saying there's different groups of people that I treat different ways. And you also had the dichotomy of the way of the different ways that you would treat men 
as opposed to the way that you would treat women, that men would have certain rights and certain privileges that women may or may not have. And so there were always these separations, and there was separations between the priests and the Levites and the common people. There were certain restrictions and privileges that were, uh, were treated to the priests and the Levites that did not apply to the rest of the common folks. And so the point of the matter is, is that there was different ways to which you treat different people. And doesn't that really describe you and me? Like I may say, you know what, I love everybody. And we know how co the common thing that we say now is there's an asterisk beside it. And when you have that little asterisk beside it, you know when you're reading, you gotta look down at the very bottom for the small print. And when I say that I love everybody, there's an asterisk about it. And I look down there at the bottom and you see a list of people that I treat differently. There's a, a spance of love. There are certain things that I would impart to certain group of people that I will not impart to other groups of people. And we're all like that, aren't we? We have a divided sense of love because they, I say that I love everybody, but if someone is of a different color or different nationality, they don't get all the love that I would give to the people who are like me. And we as sinners, that's the way we are, aren't we? And the best thing for us to do is just to confess the way that it is. And we find ourselves just like the teacher of the law, just like this expert is. When God lays down the law in our life that we should love the Lord God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength, and when we see this commitment that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, we in our own hearts, in our own way, ask the question, well, then who is my neighbor? Who does this really apply to? What group is this really? And then Jesus does something that he does a lot is that he tells a story, a story about some other people, a story about a people, you know, uh, in a land, uh, you know, far, far away, you know. And it's important that he tells a story, and it's always effective in this treatment because they are just like me. They were just like you and me. And that is, it's easier for, easier for us to see the faults in other people than it is for us to see the faults in ourselves, okay? We will tend to justify. We will make excuses for the way that we act. But when we see it in other people's lives, we see it in its wrongness. We see it in its idiocy. We see it in its unbalance, and we're able to criticize it. And so Jesus is going to tell a story. Just like when Nathan approached David with, his, with, a, with a sin of Bathsheba, when he walked in, he didn't say, David, you done wrong. When he walked in, Nathan, what did he do? He started telling a story about this other people who did this other thing, you know, with the, with the sheep, had a whole bunch of sheep, but then the neighbor comes and he goes and he takes a lamb from someone who only had one. And seeing it in other people's lives, he was, David was outraged. And then Nathan said, that's you. He told him a story because it's easier for us, just like it was easier for him to see the faults of others than it is for us to see the faults within ourselves. And he told the story, a very familiar story, and I'm sure we all know it. And it's amazing how many people um, who don't even believe in God and never really read the Bible here in our country could probably tell you elements of the story 
and I've heard it. And if you say the Good Samaritan, they know exactly to some degree what you're talking about. And so he said, look, there was this man, and he was walking down from uh, Jerusalem, and he was going to Jericho, which is a downhill trip. It's down a mountain, down, down, a, uh, down a mountain pass, and it's about 17 or so miles, I believe, uh, from one city to another. And it was a very common, it was a very well-traveled. And going down these mountain passes, you know, there would always be these, these uh, rocks, and there would always be these cliffs, and there would always be these places to hide. And so it was a, a great scene for there to be robbers because there was a lot of places to hide, and there was a lot of government officials. There was a lot of religious uh, officials. There was a lot of people going down with money that would be easy prey. And if you've ever been down through certain parts of, uh, of like the Natchez Trace, it was kind of like that because there's certain places that you go along there and you're kind of going through this little place where there's, you know, uh, an embankment up here and an embankment up here. And, and that was a very easy place where robbers could come out and surprise you and ambush and take what it was that you had. And that's what happened to this particular individual that was in the store. Now, we don't know anything about this individual. This is a fictional individual. And he offers no sort of nationality or race or anything like that, but it's just a, an individual. He's going down, he's going down the hill from Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho. And as he goes down, and as is so common in that area, he fell among robbers. And they beat him and they stripped him. And that's basically saying that just like uh, if uh, you uh, get broke down on the side of the road and uh, you get down broke on the side of the road and you decide to leave your car there on the side of the road, you're going to come back and uh, more likely sometimes there's going to be some thieves that are going to pull up. And when you get back, your car is just going to be on blocks because they're going to take everything that they can. And when it says they stripped him, that's what that means. They took everything that he had. And he was left there. He was beaten. He was naked because they took everything. And he was half dead. He was in a bad situation. But a bad situation that was rather common for that day and that time and on that road. And then he says, here comes, so happened, this priest. Now, the priest, the most stories that they would tell would be the hero of the story. But this priest, he just happened to be walking by and he's walking away from Jerusalem, so he's not in a hurry to get to the temple. He's, he's walking back home. And as he goes down the hill, Jesus said he passed by on the other side. He passed by on the other side. Now, why did he do that? Now, remember, there is not a, this is a, a fictional character. And so everything that us to need to be known, any detail we need to know about this person is given to us by the storyteller, that being Jesus. And he doesn't say why he, why he passed by on the other side of the road. And it would be sort of fruitless for us to think about the reasons why he may pass by on the side of the road. It would be pointly, uh, pointless for us to think about what would motivate that person to do such a thing. But really what I think we need to do is for us to look inside our hearts and say what causes us to pass by the only other side. What causes us that when we see someone that is there in distress, someone who has a need, someone who would find themselves in their position, that we would 
pass by on the other side of the road. In other words, he's showing that he is deliberately, he sees the situation and has what knows. Has, wants to have nothing to do with it, so he passes by on the other side of the road. So what motivates us to do such a thing? Well, a lot of times we just don't want to be involved. A lot of times we may look and we may see that, hey, this is someone that I don't want to deal with. Or maybe in a lot of times, you know what, I don't want to go closer or that because uh, if he's done got beaten and robbed, what's going to happen to me if I go over there? There may be some robbers over there. And so there's a lot of reasoning. There's a lot of reasoning that could have been in that person's heart. There's a lot of things that are involved in our heart, but the conclusion is the same, that there is a problem. This person has a need, and he wants it, and we want it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. So he passes by on the other side. And then here comes a Levite. Now, the Levites didn't have the same restrictions as a priest would. The Levites were those who would serve there in the presence of the temple. Some served as guards. Some served as musicians. Some served as uh, people who would help and keep accounts of the sacrifices and the offerings. And they didn't have the same ritual requirements, whereas the priest uh, couldn't touch a uh, corpse uh, except a close relative unless it would be unclean and wouldn't be able to serve in the temple. And so the restrictions aren't as much for the Levi as they were for the priest. And so if telling the story, they may be somewhat horrified that the priest that would pass by, but yet they would be somewhat understanding. But as the Levite passes by, someone who isn't under quite the same restrictions, someone who may be a little bit more likely to stop and help, passes on by, just like the other. And then Jesus says, then comes a Samaritan. And we all know the story about the Samaritan. And we all know that there is a mutual disdain between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jews hate Samaritans. Samaritans hate Jews. And it goes back a long, 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 long time. But here comes this Samaritan. And it says that he saw the person just like the other two did. He saw the person. But instead of passing by, the Scripture says, or Jesus tells us, that he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. And that was the same word that Jesus would use a lot of times in his, in his uh, ministry, that when he saw the people and he saw that they were like sheep without a, uh, without a shepherd. He said that he had compassion on them. When he saw the 5,000 men and the 4,000 men that had been with them all day and had no place or nowhere to go find nothing to eat, he had compassion on them. In other words, he had, and for them, you know, we would say that, that it felt it in his heart, but for them in their country, I mean, them in their culture, it was in their bowels. It was sort of a movement. It was a gut that he actually felt sorry for them in the state that he was in. And a lot of us, when we see uh, these situations, we do have that sense of compassion. We do feel a sense of emotion for what people are going through, but it never leads us to do anything. We just say, well, that's bad. That's horrible. That's something that's bad, and I feel sorry for that person, but it never really hardly ever compels us to do anything. 
But here it says that the Samaritan was moved with compassion, and he had compassion, and he did something about it. Oh, that our hearts and our lives, if every time we were moved with compassion, we would seek to do something. And hear what this person did, that uh, when he had compassion, it says that it went over to him. He made the motion to go out of his way to go over to this person. And it said that he bounded his wounds. And so not only did he have compassion, but he actually made the motion to go over and to spend time with him. But it also means he bound his wounds and others that he touched him. He interacted with him. He wasn't worried about restrictions. He wasn't worried about anything that the lawman said, but he went over and he bound his wounds. And then he began giving over to his resources. He used, uh, he used wine and he used oil to sort of treat those wounds. And he used whatever cloth and maybe some of his own clothing to make bandages. And then he set him on his donkey. And you know, uh, one person is sitting on your donkey, that means that you're, 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 now you're walking. And he took him to an inn and took care of him. And so he gave full use of all of his resources in order to take care of this person. He took of his time. He took of his possessions. He took of his transportation. And then as he got to the end and as he was getting ready to leave, he gave two denarii, which would be two working persons' days' wages. And he gave it and said, look, take care of them. And if that's not enough, he said, when I come back, I'll give you the rest of it. And so not only was he taking care of him then, but he says, you know what, I'm going to follow up on it. I'm not going to just say, hey, I've kind of fixed this problem, and I'm just going to go about my business, and I'll never be a part of it again. But he said, you know what, I'm coming back. I'm going to follow it up. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to see how you are doing. And that's what the Samaritan did. And then as he tells this story, Jesus asks the clinching question. He said, now which of these was a neighbor to the person? Now, remember, the, Pharise uh, the uh, teachers of the law question was, who is my neighbor? And so, in other words, he said the question is like this. When the Lord says, you shall love your neighbor, then I should think in my heart, who is the qualification of neighbor? So I'm going to make an application and say, who is going to be qualified to be my neighbor, and who can I exclude? Can I exclude people who are different from me? Can I exclude people who don't like me? Can I exclude people who've done bad things to me? Can I exclude people uh, who, in other ways, would be despisable to me? What type of people can I exclude, and what type of people must I include? And what Jesus says by asking, by asking this question is that the teacher of the law was asking the wrong question. And so when we think about the question that we should love our neighbor, we don't think about who it is that we should love, but rather we say, are we in our hearts loving? In other words, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, we don't ask, who is my neighbor? We ask, how is it are we?
to love. And that's the question that he poses to him. And I want you to notice the teacher of the law says this. The expert in the law says this. The lawyer says this. I suppose, I guess, the one who showed him mercy. This was a teacher of the law. But you know what? He was so full of animus for another group of people. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. He didn't, uh, wouldn't dignify him by calling him by name or calling him by category. And there Jesus exposed that, hey, while you may be an expert in the law, your heart is far, far away. And that's blinding you to doing what God has for you to do. And so many times it's the case in our life. As people who I'm sure most of you have uh, been in church for quite a long time on and off, some of you would probably credit yourself as someone who knows a great deal about the Scripture. But our lack of giving our hearts and life to Jesus, to open up to love to which He calls us to do, really blinds us to the type of lives that Jesus wants us to live. So I suppose the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. We don't think about the categories, about who we're entitled to give certain type of love and who we're able to exclude. But rather we're to search our, our hearts and our lives and say what type of love should we have? What does it mean for us to love, not who we should love as our neighbor, but how we are to love our neighbor? And it always brings us back to this, is that all of us were that person on the road. We were beaten. We were out half, and we were just about dead waiting to die. But then someone came along, and showed us mercy. And he picked us up. And he bandaged our wounds. And he forgave us of our sins. And paid our debts. And gave us the promise. That one day. He would come back. For us. That's the life of love. To which we would love. That we were loved. And we were the type of people. That Jesus regarded as his neighbors, and his neighbors were all of his creation, and that's to whom he showed his love upon. And so Jesus said to the man, just as he says to us, go and do likewise. Let's pray. And Father, we're so grateful for the love that you showed us. And Lord, I pray during this time we search our hearts to ask ourselves, are we being like the lawyer? When we think about your command of love our neighbors and to love one another, are we dividing into groups to say that this one deserves this level of love and this one isn't deserving at all? But are we loving and showing mercy in the same way that you showed love and mercy to us? Lord, it's not who is our neighbor, but Lord, teach us to love, to love neighborly as you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn of invitation.